Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Books and Shit with me, your girl Charlie Author. Um, I hope you guys are doing well this week. Um, let me know, obviously, once I post this up, what you guys have been up to. Um, for me, it's been a lot of mainly a lot of reading. I haven't done much writing, but um, it's been a lot of reading. And one of the books that I read this week was To Astera with Love by the wonderful Amanda Ross. And Amanda is here with us today. Um, hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. Amanda is here with us. Um, you're in California, aren't you? Did I just make that? Yes. Up? Yes. In the yeah. lovely California. I've not been. I really want to go. Um, and before we, you know, speak with, with Amanda, we're just going to touch on um, how I liked and came across Astera. Um, it's a, I guess, like a dystopian, but near future paranormal political <laughs> all the all the things <laughs> it's all the things and I think what got me initially was not expecting all those things so you know I got the synopsis and stuff like that and you know I was I saw vamps I saw witches and I was just like yeah this is what we're doing today and then it all went so like a different path and you know without being all obscure about it and stuff we're just going to go straight in and ask Amanda what's up mm-hmm. so first up inspiration where did Estera come from let's go let's go there yeah so I I mean being American I was heavily impacted influenced all of the I words by the 2016 election and uh so Estera came about in two ways the first was me working out my feelings about the election and what I saw was an increasing uh wave of violence against specifically by POC, especially black and brown people. And then just a a wave of misinformation and people really taking things to the extreme, especially on social media. Um, I'm also somebody who's always been interested in fantasy. I've always been interested in vampires. In fact, my mother got me into Anne Rice when I was 11. So we would like buddy read Anne Rice together. So uh, I was always wanting to to feature witches and vampires in my books, and it all just kind of came about on a rainy afternoon. I was just thinking, how can I blend what I'm feeling about this election and kind of with an allegory to with these supernatural creatures that I really love. Yeah, and um, definitely, as you said, you know, the key word here, allegory, it is exactly that. And I almost I appreciate going into it a lot more blind than I usually will other books because you know that part of it okay this is clearly not just about witches and vampires anymore um you know really did come at me really strong really hard unexpected um and initially I was a bit thrown in the sense of oh is this what I signed up for kind of thing Um, (laughs) but as you know do you know what I mean it's like I read a lot of fantasy because you know for me it is very much of an escape um, you know, and just to do fun things that aren't really like, you know, possible and all those kind of things and fall in love with females and blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, all that good stuff. Um, so to kind of have the more, um, you know, modern political element, it did throw me a bit. And I was like, hmm, I'm not sure how I feel about this. But then as we went on and the, the I'm going to go with darkness. I couldn't think of the word right then. But as the darkness came a lot more prevalent on the page, especially with, is it Troyan? Is that how you pronounce it? 
yeah especially with um Troyan's death and you know even though it's a lot later in the book but with Mercury sitting in the car and you know you're making a point to mention he sits with his palms up on his um on his legs so it's very clear that he's not holding a weapon and you know you know even use of the um, racial slurs both to black and to white people the long you know the not say longer the more I got into it the more I was like okay this this is something different this is something this is something special and I will say there was a difficulty for me to get too stuck into it. And mm-hmm. I readily admit that because that it's because I'm British. Like I, so, you know, everything I say from this point is not as much of a criticism as much as a understanding that you mm-hmm. have a very clear African-American, brown American voice that as much as I can read and digest, I'll never understand does that make sense? Like, are you with yeah. me? And yes, yeah. I just, I wanted to make that clear in the sense of I enjoyed it, but there was for a British person, a, di- a divide maybe? Like, you know, mm-hmm. just a barrier that we'll never get. And I, but I do feel and respect that for an American, a lot of this stuff is, whoa, that happened to me. Or, whoa, I feel this. Or, do you understand? So I really mm-hmm. appreciated that. And so enough about me, um, um, is how did you work on getting that voice? Because like you said, it was about filtering your feelings and putting those two things together. And it's like, did you have to kind of go over that voice, Mercury's voice, I guess, or was it pretty easy to do because of how you were feeling? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it was, so I was also reading a lot of The Root, which is a, an American um, digital magazine, and a lot of the political coverage is very similar to the articles uh, that I included in the book, uh, specifically the ones from John Quill. And so there was that, and that helped me get into that vibe and that voice of the satirical element in the articles. And in terms of Mercury, it was a, it was a bit of a combination. It's Mercury is, and I've said this on other interviews, heavily inspired by my brother. Um, and I keep saying it and he keeps listening to these interviews. And every time he just is like, oh, so I inspired Mercury, huh? That's right. You know, he's getting yeah. a big head. <laughs> Love it. But um, <laughs> it was, it was his, that inspiration. And then just a lot of the feelings that I have and experiences that, experiences that I have and growing up, you know, as a Black American in California and that it's a different vibe in California than in the South and in New York and things like that. And so I was able to wrap that up, but I also, I spent six years living in Atlanta. So I also kind of have that, that mastery, I guess, Mm -hmm. that vibe. And um, yeah, I was just really wanting to give a voice to a black male witch because I don't feel we see enough of that. We see a lot of, we'll have stories with a witch. There'll be a white witch or it'll be, you know, a black female witch, but we don't see a lot of black male witches. And I wanted to bring that to the fore and hopefully we see more stories with that. No, well. definitely. I'm, I will say that was that was definitely something I enjoyed about it. You know, then being black, cool, great. Um, but then being male, because as you said, it, you know, which the word itself is usually standardly female. Um, if mm-hmm. you're, you know, if there are male witches, they might be called warlocks or they might be called wizards or, you know, they're never just witches kind of thing um, which was really good um I made a point to write down about the 
you know, the article excerpts, because I want to touch on that later. I really, really like those. Um, but in terms of the magic system, first of all, um, I love the execution of it, like as in reading the spell words and just the actions of, you know, what he was doing. It was all very, I saw this in my head. Do you know what I mean? He threw him across the room and he did this and it was all, you know, it was, that was good. Um, but what, what was your kind of magical inspiration? You know, where does your um, magic stem from? Because I think I did put in my review, I would have liked a bit more about, you know, is it from the earth? Is it mental? Is it a grimoire? Like, do you know what I mean? Where does your magic mm -hmm. stem from kind of universally for them in this world? Yeah, so they channel their magic from each of the four elements and each of the four elements that comes with certain types of powers. So Mercury's primary powers are telekinesis and psychometry. So he's able to see people's memories a la like the dead zone mm -hmm. for people who have seen the dead zone. Um, and then, you know, his friends have other powers. Um, one of them is able to control fire. Uh, his aunt is able to cause pain, which is the, like a physical kind of passionate power, which comes from fire. Um, I dubbed each person who, each witch, who channels powers from an element is a hand. So Mercury is an air hand. Yep. And I really liked, I've always loved elemental magic. I thought it's, it to me made the most sense that you would draw powers from things that are innately around us, mm -hmm. earth, air, fire, and water. Yep. And I just had a lot of fun kind of creating that. I didn't want to, to go like the charmed route or anything like that, where I was specifically drawing from a magic system that was that was Wiccan or you know, Celtic or anything that was already established. Right. Um, I wanted to create something new. And a lot of, all of these spells, the different words that are in the book are made up words. <laughs> I just kind of <laughs> chopped and screwed some words and put them together to make the spells. Right. And yeah. that, was, that was a lot of fun. Um, and in the second book, there is a lot more magic and ritual, which was also fun being able to expand that magic system and really uh, delve into not just the magic system, but the, the laws that kind of govern the magic, magical beings in this world. Yeah, no, because that's definitely a big thing. I mean, for my, for my first uh, trilogy, it was kind of implied that everything was just innately in them. Like they're just a race of powerful people. Like they were gifted by this omniscient power and they're just, you know, they're gifted this and they can do pretty much anything. Um, but this was before, you know, kind of learning the laws, as you just said, of magic. They didn't really have much limitation. And it wasn't till later that I realized this isn't feasible. Like, why are they just not taking over everything? Because there's no restriction here. So that is something I had to learn later on in in subsequent mm -hmm. books um even and then even with uh genesis of dragons which was the prequel to my trilogy which i wrote much later in life much later in life girl you are only 30 anyway <laughs> which i wrote post like 17 kind of thing um i went the kind of necromancy route so i had to look mm -hmm. into death magic and blood magic and you know using words as well as elemental magic so i really kind of I'm interested in and appreciated that side of it because, you know, I just remembered having to do that and chop and screw the words and be like, does this make sense? Am I going to summon a demon? I, d I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen here. So that was, that was really, really good. Um, one element of the magic that I really loved was the tattoos. So for the, the guys, obviously you guys that don't know, 
the witches, Mercury and his brother are tattooists, or at least their, their father is, and they can do it as well. And they were able to, what's the term for it? Uh, mark them. Mark they were able to mark humans with with power basically through a tattoo. Um, one girl gets fire so she can shoot fire from her hands. One guy is an earth hand so he can heal and or poison. Um, what does Griffin get? Like transmodification. Oh, yeah, transmodification. But what was the tattoo? What did he get? It's just like a symbol, just okay. like kind of a runic symbol. And then Sloan got like tractable knives, which was which mm-hmm. was really good. So that was fun. I thought that was very clever. I thought it was very um inventive. Um, quick question: does it just last forever now? Yes. Okay, cool. So okay. does that make them pow- so humans with powers, or does it now just make them witches? So it makes some witches, but the the kind of pejorative in the book is a maid witch. A maid. You know, so there's kind of that distinction of, well, you're not really a witch because you're not born with this power. You were just made into a witch. But, you know, they still have to abide by magical laws now. They still have to, you know, go to these events that are required and, and all the other things. Um, yeah. No. And those... those power the tattoos were some of my favorite things to do I love tattoos I have a couple I keep wanting to go back and get more um and I just thought what if you could give somebody powers through a tattoo so many people would have powers because so many people have tattoos dude (laughs) so many powers like I've got 10 and I could tell you for free each one could be something very cool very very cool (laughs) on my right wrist I've got like an Egyptian hieroglyph for the um for the god Toph so it's like Mm -hmm. a lot of knowledge and writing and I was thinking when I was reading this I was just like if that could do something I could literally like just have all the knowledge of anything in the world at the drop of a hat kind of thing and I was just like that's amazing. <laughs> was like, that's amazing. <laughs> like I've got a dragon on my foot. Does that mean I could fly? I don't know. It was, it was, yeah, that was, that was really, really good. I like that. Um, what was I going to say? Yes. Yeah, so touching on, you mentioned they're now made witches. Cool. Dig it. There's laws. They have to follow them. Obviously they're at Astera, mm-hmm. which sorry for you guys again, is like a, a witchy summit. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And they all come together on this most powerful day. And they all, you know, they're just super powerful. They're just pumping full of magic. It's great. And everyone goes and has a bit of an orgy and it's great. So, <laughs> but that, my confusion now, and this might be just me just a bit missing it. I realize that. Did the vampires like turning up and finding them? Was that because of the head woman? And I'm not going to say her relation because that might be, you know, obviously a bit of a spoiler, but is that because of the head woman or because they just got there really fast? <laughs> because I was like, how did they get here so fast? And I was really upset by that. So yeah. It's, it was, yeah. It was a combination. It was that they were following Mercury, but then they were constantly using, the vampires were constantly using social media. So they were constantly kind of putting the word out, mm-hmm. putting out a hit on Mercury. If you see them, if you talk to them. So then the vampires were able to amass a great deal of, you know Infinite. acolytes and all these other people just following them going oh well we got to get these witches because there's a very clear divide and hate between witches and vampires so it's kind of like if you're a vampire and you hear or see a witch has done 
wrong by another vampire, you're automatically taking the vampire side. It doesn't matter the context. Yeah. And so that's why they were able to get a lot of vampires there so quickly because some of them were local. And yeah. then Connor and the other, the, the main vampires in this are like fraternity. That was pretty fun to write. Okay. They, they had been following them uh, across the country. Yeah. So. Right. So as I said, I love the, the word you give me that, you know, you're giving, you're giving me stuff because I can always <laughs> do onto something else. So massive thing um, in the book is the use of social media. Um, mm-hmm. which, once again, another part I did enjoy um, just because it was so real and true to life. And, you know, Mercury gets in some trouble at the beginning of the book, guys, and it's captured on social media. Um, you know, his brother gets into a situation, it's captured on social media. He has to deal with this really horrific event via social media. And it's disgusting, like in a good way, girl, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> to Imagining having to see that of your family member on a phone screen was just, yeah, it, it touched me. It touched me. It was, it was very, very sad. Um, good, but very, very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that I did like the the media element. So in the book, once again, guys, you've got a split up between two journalists, one for like a witch publication, I forget the name, sorry, and then mm-hmm. one for a vampire publication, which is I want to say the Vanguard. Yes. So yes. which publication? John Quill. John Krill or Crow? Quill, like Quill. the flower. Yeah, John Quill. There you go. Um, and those were really cool. Like, I really enjoy, you enjoy reading a book that you enjoy, sorry, using the word again, you know, for all the fun elements you like it. There might be a hot guy, there might be super magic, there might be dragons, whatever. But a big thing for me is when a book is able to do something different, whether it is, you know, Jay Kristoff and his footnotes, or whether it's, um, you know, the emails in Fifty Shades of Grey, like, you know, it's a bit, you know, it's cheap whatever but I just like that the pages are different the the context is different and that was you know it was really well done it was just like oh my gosh this propaganda it's just you know it was wonderful to see that one to see the different sides so how both factions were able to spin it for their own agenda which was the story part of it but it was good from the writer mind of it writer to writer that you were physically able to write the exact same thing, essentially, but from two different minds. It showed Mm -hmm. how well you understood the ideologies of what these people were like. Do you know what I mean? It was just, they genuinely believed their own bullshit. And it was really really good. (laughs) So yeah, just tell me about that kind of process of putting those in. Why did you decide to do it? You know, how did it come about kind of things? I really loved them. Yeah, um, so I wanted to use those as a tool to do a lot of world building and tell what was happening in the story behind Mercury's journey. So I didn't want to just follow Mercury's journey across the country, because especially in the modern world, there's always something happening. New cycle is 24-7, social media is 24-7, there's always something happening. So I wanted to use the articles to show both reactions to uh, what was happening with Mercury and and inform a little more about Astera and all the things happening in the witch community. And then I started writing the articles from the Vanguard, which is a vampiric kind of vampire supporter perspective. 
and I thought, okay, this could be a really great way of, of both kind of puppeting some of the things that we see with the deep propaganda type news organizations. And I'm sure um, you can you can figure out which ones I'm talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, as we're talking. But um, then also to give that perspective from vampires, because you know, if you have vampires and witches that don't like each other, it's not always going to be that the witches are always right. Mm-hmm. It's not always going to be the vampires are always right. Mm-hmm. So giving those different perspectives, seeing how they both spin their BS and yeah. then also um, just making you feel like, okay, I, I, I'm going to take a side. I know whose side I would take if I was, you know, in this world. So that was fun. Definitely hard to do. I would say it was hard to get into the perspective of Cordelia Edwards, who is the, uh, the Vanguard writer, and yeah, yes, I did oh use God. names from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Edward from <laughs> Twilight. <laughs> Twilight, love it, love it. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I get what you mean, and as I said, it was it was done um, really well from both sides. But sorry, dude, like there were no way the vampires had any leg to stand on. Do you know what I mean? Like, even, it doesn't matter that the president was a vampire. Like, the stuff they were saying does not make any sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody, like, come on, you want to put identity tags on people. That's never going to be a thing. Like, that's, a, you know, that's taking away freedom of movement, freedom of identity. Like, that's disgusting. Like, it, but as I said, I'm using these words, but I mean them all in good ways. Like, I was in those parts, I was that invested to be like, what are you mad? It felt like I was, you know, reading the same magazine kind of thing. Yeah. But one part of that that I really did enjoy, and I thought it was so, so clever, was the couple who opened the blood bar. And yeah. was, as I said, it's not even a part of the story, essentially, it is. But it was just a little bit when you mentioned about, you know, getting um, a license that blood was given freely or something because they were taking it illegally like just feeding off like the waiters and waitresses and stuff and I tell you I love details like that like it's <laughs> but makes the world of difference and I just I thought that was so good it's just like yeah how do you get a license for blood like <laughs> I would never have thought of this and I just I thought that was fabulous I really did yeah. like that. Um, and, you know, we're free. We should be free to be able to drink in public and not be shamed. I'm like, shut up. Like, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. just like, woe is me. Like, and, you know, sorry to any guys who are like vegan. <laughs> <laughs> but it felt like that. It's just like we need vegan bars and, you know, we should be able to have our not chicken chicken if we want. <laughs> and I was just like, oh go away just go away yeah I wanted that's the react that's the exact reaction I wanted I you know I thought like if we have this world where people are out of the coffin and we have a vampire president why not have people be hipsters and open a bar that is exclusively for vampires why not have why would that if you have a president vampire why wouldn't that spill to other aspects of the world it wouldn't just be him and be dog walkers and people owning salons and all this stuff and I thought the boutique blood bar would kind of be maybe the first step for people to go and get their nourishment in the way that they they need or want if if we're saying that so that was that was fun I was chuckling the whole time I was writing it (laughs) because it was just 
<laughs> I feel like even though I've never been obviously it's all over TV and stuff it felt very LA like in the sense of you know juice bars and you know skinny girls walking with their active wear drinking their you know kind of thing it felt like mm-hmm. that and I think that, <laughs> I think that was really, really good. sorry I'm chuckling because it just tickled me so much yeah Wait, I mean I that continues in the second book there's a scene where we have an area that's uh you know been gentrified And there are like boutiques and vampire blood bars and like a, because in this, in this book series, drugs are also legal. So there's like a hipster drug store. And yeah, I forgot about that. I was going to say like, there were bits where Mercury was just like, yeah, let's go shoot some coke. And I was just like, oh, what? (laughs) What did I miss miss here? What what happened? But that was good. And one thing we haven't actually touched on. So we've gone obviously you know, it's kind of a, a, it's a journey-esque plot. They are running from uh, vampires who are attacking them for X event. Um, mm-hmm. They're trying to get to Estera for safety. They get there, it's not quite safe. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we're doing all that kind of stuff, which is really cool. Um, one thing I'll point out, they stop to eat so many times, girl. Like, <laughs> you guys are on the run. Bring yep. snacks. <laughs> yep. Stop yeah. Stopping. Stop stopping. Why are you stopping again? Don't... <laughs> and that, that's what I wanted to do because I, you people make mistakes. And I, that's the other thing is that, and I, I know you can relate to this, is when you're writing magical beings, sometimes they will be written as all powerful, all perfect. They make no mistakes. They're just, you know, totally above reproach. But I didn't want that. This is in contemporary society. And even though Mercury is a witch and he has all this power, he makes mistakes. Yeah. He has anxieties. He's constantly wondering, how can I make all of this work? I'm not a leader. You know, they stop at Target to, to buy clothes, just like everybody else. And you're right, they should have gotten snacks at Target. But I wanted to kind of show that they're, yeah. they're you know, young adults making mistakes. Making and mistakes. each thing they do could put them closer, does put them closer to danger. And definitely. Um, they're not perfect for sure. No, they're not at all. So when you say, how old are they? Sorry. Cause I always get mixed up with like college and stuff. Cause we don't do it the same here. So how mm-hmm. old are Mercury and, and the gang? They're all between 21 and 22. Okay. So there are, they are old enough. Cause then when it kind of got to the more sexy time with um, Ellis and Sloan, it's like, mm-hmm. I know they're old enough, but I was like, wait, how old are they? <laughs> I was like, what? like, you know, talking about banging headboards and stuff. And I was like, wait, what are we doing? Are we 17? Are we 18? What's <laughs> happening? Like, I need to understand. Oh God. But no, that's fine. So they're 21, 22, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a wonderful segue again into characters. As I was saying earlier, um, you know, we've touched on the allegory of racism, obviously uh, having a really shitty president at one point, um, you know, the inspiration for it, whatever, you know, news experts, the magic system, etc., which are all wonderful. Um, but we haven't talked about the characters as such. So, mm-hmm. You've got Mercury, who is your main character, a uh, African-American male witch. Um, mm-hmm. You have his brother, Troyan, his older brother, who's got a bit of, you know, older sibling envy. Been there. Well, not been there because I'm the oldest, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> that's I relate. I'm the youngest of six, so I have it so oh, much. No, I'm the other end. I'm the oldest of six. Well, <laughs> No, that's wonderful. <laughs> so, you ha- yeah, you put the envy in there. Um, you've got their wonderful dad, Atlas. Then you've got some extended family and then you've got the band of merry men, you know, the Robin Hood Mm -hmm. merry men. You've got his, basically his good friend Sloane, his 
pseudo weirdo best friend, but kind of not, kind of is Ellis. Um, and then the girl he likes, Joel, and Joel's twin brother. Mm-hmm. Joel's twin brother, Griffin. So there's yes. one of them. Let's go through each one. You know, you already said Mercury was taken from your brother. You know, you can go again on that if you need to. But um, yeah, just the inspiration for the different characters and why you wanted, I won't say so many, because there's only five of them, but you know, you could have had a much smaller cast, just him and his friend or something. Like, why did you go yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah, so Mercury fully, uh, like I mentioned, uh, inspired by my brother, but also a little bit of me in terms of the anxiety, in terms of the, you know, we see leaders and we, they just automatically know what to do, especially if they're the magical being in the situation. It's, you know, there it's the white lighter and charm. They always know what to do, right? But what if they don't? And that's what I wanted to work out with Mercury, that he, he's somebody who was always just kind of doing his thing he always kind of had an idea that maybe he would take over his father's tattoo parlor if his brother didn't. And he was always envious of his brother, but not in a, oh, I hate him. I'm going to, you know, destroy him kind of way. Just he deeply, deeply loved his brother and that friendship that they had. And I wanted to also show, show that relationship between black men and their relay, their relatives, because we see not always positive portrayals or we don't see the portrayal with a black man and his father at all mm-hmm. and so that was important I wanted to show that um Sloan is probably aside from Mercury my favorite character <laughs> she right was she was mine um and she's pretty much been everybody's favorite character she is she, I she's a firecracker I guess for lack of a better term um she's somebody who knows exactly who she is and she knows exactly what she stands for. And the inspiration was, I think, just kind of taking inspiration from a lot of my more confident friends, a lot of the, you know, activists that I'm seeing on TV and in media that just are, they know exactly what they want. They are super self-possessed and they're able to speak to, to that at length. And I also like the idea of having somebody who is kind of covertly brilliant She's, you know, a receptionist out of tattoo parlor and people might assume that because she's not in college, that she's not yeah. smart or anything, but she's always sitting there with a book mm-hmm. and a vape and a nice copy. Those yeah. are her three <laughs> things you could summon her with. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Like as I said, Sloane was my, was my favorite. She's the badass one. You know, she's as well as being, as I said, secretly smart as it were, um, you know, Reminds me of me. No, um, <laughs> so she's lovely. Um, but considering how kind of um, opinionated she is, obviously about the whole situation, it might not come across as like heavy hitting in terms of the vampire witch opposition. But do you think it may have been a bit of a disconnect that she ends up with Ellis, who is white? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a question I've had before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely was a bit of an enemies to lovers situation that, <laughs> uh, that, I, that I was trying out. And so, you know, on to Ellis. Uh, Ellis is inspired by basically all of the like white fuck boys that I have seen in media, that I know, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's super privileged. He grew up rich. And um, I also wanted to explore through him and Mercury's friendship. What happens when you are childhood friends with somebody and you have that bond 
and then you grow into different people, but you're still trying to be friends because they're familiar. Yeah. You know, they, they've seen you at your low point. They've been there for your birthdays. You've celebrated, you've gone through breakups together, like supporting each other. And they're not necessarily a good person, but they're familiar and they're safe. And so you just stay friends with them. And I think a lot of people end up having that situation. I know I have where it's like, we're not, we don't have a ton in common, but I guess we're still friends. Yeah. 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 Um, And by no means did I intend this to be, you know, Alice does grow a little bit. He becomes less of a jerk towards the end of the book. Yeah, he does. Um, but I didn't want this to be a situation where, oh, the white person completely changes. Yes. Because okay. I dig that. He's, he's yeah. still white. He's still privileged. He's still looking at his life from that lens. So yes, he's capable of change. And yes, he becomes less of a jerk. And I think in the second book as well, but this is not his journey. It's not about him becoming a better white person. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that's, that was his journey. That's why I wrote him as, as such in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, is that and there are moments where, you know, you see him be a good friend to Mercury. Like when Mercury's crying about his brother and he's sitting there recounting a memory and he gives him a hug and he's just kind of holding him while Mercury cries. I did want to include that because again, people can be multifaceted and they can be an asshole, but also comfort you when you're crying. No, definitely. I think it's like the addition to that is, you know, what kind of considering Mercury's her best friend and kind of seeing how he obviously got in trouble at the whole frat party because of his because of Ellis's idiot nature. You know, it was it was believable. Like, you know, they're always, you know, snapping at each other and then they got together. Yeah, we saw that coming. Um, But (laughs) what about him would you say, you know, kind of allowed Sloane to go there if she's so, you know, focused on the fight for the good fight because essentially forgive me but essentially he's the enemy if you see what I mean so it's kind of like how do you do that and well I say how do you do that it's more where did that come from because yeah we have biracial relationships and stuff like that I mean I'm in one it's you know it's not you know I don't sit at my watch my partner and be like you know you're the problem with the world like you know (laughs) like that um but it was just in this such intense environment it wasn't necessarily like I, I'm not sure I would have put them together like mm-hmm. was that a, was that a thing an active choice or did it just kind of fall as you were writing kind of thing admittedly it kind of felt as I was writing and initially it was supposed to be a well they're both drunk and uh, horny, yeah. so let's put them together because I didn't also what I intentionally did not want was Mercury to end up with Sloan which is what at least in this first book, which is what I think a lot of people would have wanted. Because, <laughs> yeah. um, because it, Mercury and Sloan have such chemistry together. Mm-hmm. But I also know that just because you have chemistry with somebody doesn't mean it's a romantic chemistry. Yeah. You know? They are just great as friends. Yeah. And um, so I, I wanted to avoid that because I think that Mercury and Sloan are a great dynamic duo. They're good as real, like, best friends basically and uh I, I wanted to to preserve that yeah um, no I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't have put them together it was just because Sloane is obviously so Sloaney <laughs> I just thought girl you went over there <laughs> yeah <laughs> the thing. but no that's just you know us with our kind of 
I said cultural humor. I think I'll use that word instead. Um, <laughs> speaking, speaking of though, and I mean this so, so respectfully, where are you from? Like, as in what's your background makeup? race Mm -hmm. (laughs) where are you from because you know for lack of better word you're not obviously black (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and uh so I I get that a lot um yeah so I'm biracial black woman I my mom is black my dad is white I identify as a black woman um and that's that's me and it's I know that my I guess the way I look is very I, I hate the term ethnically ambiguous, but that's kind of what it mm. what it is. That kind of floats around, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I purposefully, I guess, didn't include any biracial people in this book mm-hmm. because I wanted to, that, because we see that all the time. We see biracial people in books all the time. Mm. And that's cool and all, but I wanted to, to represent other people. You know what? And I thank you for that. As I said, I don't mean to, you know, make you uncomfortable or anything like that. But um, I do thank you for saying that because my previous episode was about was about sorry, uh, black fiction. And mm-hmm. one of the points I listened to it. It was a really good episode. Oh, thank you. And you know, one of the points I made was that yeah, um, some on the come up fiction and stuff. It does feature a black girl, um, but she will be, as you say, a biracial black girl. And there is, as I said at the time, there is nothing wrong with this. Um, but it's just this kind of idea that uh, fully black people, if that's what you want to refer to it as, will write um, a biracial black woman, I don't know, to fit into a mold, to make it more digestible. I don't know the reason why. But it's interesting that the other side, so you being the biracial writer, now wants to feature, quote unquote, fully black people. It's like, how did we have this shift, this weird mm-hmm. dynamic that we're not necessarily writing a mirror of ourselves, but want to include each other? So it's just, you know, you're writing them and they're writing you. And it's just, it's really, I found that really interesting to say, mm-hmm. you know, because I will personally include anyone and everyone. I'm not Chinese, I'm not Asian or whatever, but I might include an Asian character. But it was interesting for you to say those words specifically. I want to include different types of people. Whereas sometimes the different types of people include the same types of people, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, like a long way around it. But yeah, that was that was really good. And I appreciate that, I think, because you're actively somebody giving a platform and a voice to, you know, as you said earlier, a black male witch, you know, take the black out of it. Male as a main character, as a powerful, you know, witch character kind of thing. So that is another difference and, and change that you've mm-hmm. added to the book which is appreciated which is really good um as well as black fully black characters as well as biracial characters you know it's really really good so I do I do appreciate that um stepping away from the characters no we're not stepping away because we haven't done Joelle and Griffin yeah yeah um so I'll just briefly touch on them I wanted Joelle to be purposefully for lack of a better word soft I think in media, we see a lot of, when we see black women, they're, they're strong or they're sassy or they're this, that, and the other. And I didn't want her to be the one that's in that role. Um, She is somebody who is capable of standing up for herself. She has her moments, but generally she's very go with the flow. If not for her meeting Mercury and all that situation, she would probably continue to do that. And yeah, be quite straight laced. 
yeah, continued to just be very protective of her brother. And she is that way because her brother is a is a black gay man and they they witch. It's a black gay there's a lot going on. <laughs> yes. And and his their father was not okay with him being gay and she's protective because of that. And so I think when you put that through that lens, it kind of makes sense that she's very protective. Um, and I wanted to show that sibling relationship because um, I'm bisexual. I have several members of my family who are bisexual or gay or lesbian. And there are some other members of the family who are not okay with it. And I think particularly in the black community that can be something that happens where it's like, um, oh, we don't talk about it, or if they're okay with it, it's, well, we don't talk about it. Why do you always got to bring that up? Yeah. You know, even if it's somebody's like, well, I, all I said was hi. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys, like, as Amanda's been talking, I'm just sitting here nodding, I'm like, yep, <laughs> someone in my family, yep, yep. It's yeah. Just, it's not nice, but it's true, yes. <laughs> it's those cultural things that I wanted to show, and in terms of Griffin, I did want to show his journey, um, he's somebody who starts out as an engineering student, I think, to make his father happy to be like, well, this is this will get me on his good side. Yep. But that's not who he is. And he rushes a fraternity to meet people because he's kind of lived his life being the outsider, you know, being gay, being black, all this stuff. And so I think there's this idea when you rush a fraternity or sorority, oh, I'm doing it because I want to find community. I want to meet other people. And then these people by default will be my friends. Obviously, yeah. we know that's not always the case. Yeah. And with Griffin rushing a vampire fraternity, it was not going to be the case. Nope. Um, <laughs> but I, I wanted idea. to show that journey. Yeah. <laughs> Bad idea. No, no, that was re- that was really good. And it's like, as, as I said at the top, when we were talking about characters, you know, there are five of them. And in some books, I mean, I have a book with, with a large cast, my first trilogy. Um, much you know much louder than five there's tons of them um and sometimes it can be quite difficult to follow different halves you know even if they are together voices might jumble up or you know why have we got this person they're just kind of an extra limb why are they here kind of thing um but each of yours you know had very distinct voices and reasons for for being there um which you've you've touched on uh, just now which is wonderful um and I really liked that you know there was a purpose for people being including included how they were included um you know we mentioned Sloane and Ellis's relationship earlier and you know when Mercury has his little breakdown and he's just like you know you're just trying to take her from me and stuff like that and it was such a real response it's like he doesn't want her like that but she's my friend and you're taking my friend and it was just it was just so cute it was so cute and it was so sad and I was just like oh bless it so yeah I definitely you know, I might not have resonated in terms of being a part of their struggle, but I got each one. I'd met somebody, you know, a bit resistant, like Mercury. I'd met somebody, as you said, soft and sweet, like uh, Joelle and someone as more forthcoming as Sloane and stuff like that. So I did, I did get that, um, which I really did like. So Mm -hmm. as we draw to somewhat of a close, um, I wanted to mention first, before I ask about your next plans, the cover. Mm Mm-hmm. What's the inspiration by the cover? Because I'll tell you free, it doesn't match what's in it, if that makes sense. It's so colourful. Yeah. <laughs> it's so colourful. And then there was darkness. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love the symbols, but where did the, the cover come from? 
Yeah, so um, my designer shout out, uh, Kim Kavaner. She's so wonderful. I was kind of a collaboration. I knew I didn't want a person on the cover. Hmm. Um, I think that is great. But for me and for what I wanted, I didn't want just that one person on the cover, uh, like a lot of other like contemporary urban fantasy books have. Yeah. Um, I wanted something different. I wanted to maybe speak to more of the symbolism or the symbols in the book, the like the fire element of you know it being elemental magic. Um, <clears throat> and it was more like let's just see what you can do. And she presented me with several different uh, drafts, and that's the one that spoke to me the most because, like I said, it's it's the the symbol, it's the fire, it's all of this elemental stuff. And I have heard that before that the cover so, so like pop out at you. Yeah. And then- um, The good thing, you know, in terms of yeah. checking it and if it was in stores and, you know, things like that. So kudos, uh, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was just like, oh, I didn't expect this. I want some roses, you know, some fairies and shit. And it was like, <laughs> there's a lot of politics in this. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but no, it was interesting. And as I said, eye popping and stuff, fabulous. Um, and it was, as I said, it was fun to kind of get that different taste from what you saw on the front. So that's really good. Um, as you said, uh, consequent books and stuff, what are your plans going forward? How many books are there going to be? Just the two trilogies? What are we doing? So it's going to be a trilogy. The second book, um, To Alaris and Desperation, comes out in on the 30th. So of September. Yes, of September. Woo! So it's oh, right man. around the corner. Yeah, so that's coming out on the 30th. And um, the second book will have more magic. There's more ritual. It explains a little more about some of the customs mm. from the Witches' Council. Uh, and we see more involvement with Mercury's father, which was wonderful to write because Atlas is another favorite character of mine um, that I wrote as well as Mercury's aunt. Uh, yes, we got to talk about her. <laughs> yes, you know. uh, Mercury's aunt. There is still the vampire presence. There is still um, all of that, but this book is a little more magic centric and it was, it was a lot of fun. And then the third book I will actually start, I'm starting to outline next month. Okay. So that will be soon underway. Um, I'm also taking a departure from this series just briefly to write another book that is standalone um, called In the House of Transcendence. And this is a completely different magic set, a completely different cast of characters. It follows a necromancer nice. trying to control her power in savannah and she's also trying to solve a murder so it's a little cool. mysterious there love that love that no i love i love when a plan is is full out and coming together i dig it um, <laughs> <laughs> no that's wonderful do you have a title for number three yet or no no uh, so number two is to alaris did you say in desperation yes right that's coming out september 30th so when this is out that will be in four days guys so you know mm -hmm. we're in real time travel right now um that will be <laughs> in four days um so definitely if you've obviously read astera make sure to uh, check out the sequel if you haven't then read it now um in preparation for the sequel um i'm assuming all links are on your social media so let people know where they mm -hmm. can find you yeah, so you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Amanda the Author with two E's, like Megan the Stallion, and Amanda the Author with one E on Twitter. Um, you can go to my bio, you'll see my link tree. I have links to the to pre-order uh, to Laura's and Desperation, the link to buy to a stare with love, which is actually 
on sale now, the paperback is uh, in preparation for the sequel. And you can also follow me on YouTube uh, at Amanda the Author, again with two E's. And you can find that link in my link tree in my bio. Cool. So check out um, Amanda's um, social medias to stay up to date with all of that stuff, um, as well as checking out um, mine as well, Charlie Author on everything. Um, if you want to obviously check out this episode when it comes out and prior episodes before that, uh, stay tuned here. So thank you so, so much, Amanda, for um, joining me today. It was it was really fun. Like you, you gave you gave the goods, you know, sometimes <laughs> you interview some people and it's just like, you're not giving me what you need to give. <laughs> <laughs> give me some action. Like, <laughs> give me some personality. No, really. I'm joking. <laughs> but no, it was it was wonderful. Thank you so much. And as I said, I had my questions um, about it. Obviously going in a bit blind and you definitely, um, you know, answered them for me and just opened up a whole other world from your personal perspective, as well as a professional kind of writer side as well which is wonderful so uh, you know I love these indie ones which is really great um thank you so so much guys make sure you check out obviously books and shit on spotify apple podcast and all other podcast platforms speak to you guys again soon bye